interesting when we open to the book of Acts, we see the power of God. We see God's church in action. We see what God is doing through his Holy Spirit and we stand in awe and wonder at the majesty, the glory, the power of God. And then we see that God is using us, the people of God, his church, to accomplish his mission. It's an incredible story, and when we unfold the church's history, what happens after the resurrection of Christ, all we can do is look at this word, all we can do is admire these saints, admire the church and go, man, Lord, I want you to move, I want you to work in that way. But guess what, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead lives inside of his church today. The same spirit that was in the church in Acts lives inside of his church today. God wants to move in a mighty way. He wants his mission to be fulfilled and he uses ordinary, common people like me and you to accomplish that mission. Christ has resurrected from the dead. He has told the disciples that the Holy Spirit will come in power. They will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We see the Holy Spirit come in the form of the, the power and the presence of God and begins to indwell God's people. We see this interaction of the one another of the church and interacting and loving and serving one another. I'm reviewing where we are in Acts. Then we see Peter and John. Last week we saw them engage this man who was not able to walk since he was born. And we saw this engagement of brokenness in the world. We don't have to turn on the television or go to far to see all of the brokenness, the pain, the disease, broken relationships in our world and Peter addresses him in the name of Christ and he gets up and he walks through faith in the name of Jesus. Peter proclaims that this is an authentication of the message of the gospel. And guess what? We talked about this last week at the end of our time. That when we see God do miraculous things, when he begins to move inside of his people, often persecution results or suffering for God's people. And that's what we look at this morning in the face of persecution. The believers stand in boldness declaring that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That is what Christ has declared. And they are affirming that message to those who crucified him. This is spirit-filled Boldness. So turn with me in Acts chapter 4. And as we do at Northwest, because we uphold the word of God, we stand in reading of God's word. So if you'll stand with me as we read the word of God, Acts chapter 4. 
We'll read the second half after Peter has preached to the people about this healing, that it is from the name of Jesus. This is what ensues. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of peoples and elders, if we were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. You can be seated. Let's pray as we ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Father, we ask by the power of your spirit that you speak to us through your word as we see and stand in awe of your proclamation of the truth that Jesus is the only way. Father, we know as, as pastors, as people, as Christians, we cannot convince anyone that Jesus is the only way. Only the Spirit of God can do that. But this morning, Father, as we remind ourselves of what it means to stand boldly in the midst of opposition, we pray that we would stand as the church the people of God, and place our foundation upon Christ as the chief cornerstone. That, Father, all the chaos and confusion that overwhelms our world, that we would focus upon the truth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on a cross for us, and that you have given us a way of salvation for eternal life. Father, give us the strength that we need to stand. Give us the peace that surpasses all understanding in knowing that you stand with us. 
to give us the spirit of truth, to proclaim that truth in love. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oftentimes in in community groups, you get to know one another on a deeper level, and sometimes that means that you get to uh, share some of your most uh, intimate stories or interesting stories, or in this case, a funny story. Don't, don't worry, I got approval from this couple to share this story, but you have to hear this story. You may know who this is, but they were telling a story when they were younger without kids about a time when the wife left to go on a girl's trip. Now, um, it's interesting, men always try to like fix up the house or maybe wash the car or clean out the car sometimes when, when your wife leaves the house because they, they want to make a good impression on the wife. And, and some time before this, she had had some conversations with her husband about her car. And um, she had shared some of her uh, ideas about the car in the future Number one, that she never wanted another white car, okay? She had a white car. She never wanted another white car. And she told him that in high school, she had had a Ford Explorer and really didn't want another Ford Explorer. So you can get where this is going. And um, he was not putting his listening ears on men, and he decides he's going to go all out for her while she's on this trip. And he does. He gets her a white Explorer. Yes, he does. He gets her a brand new car. A white Explorer. And she comes home and her face when she sees that car. Where's my old car that I love? May not have liked the color, but I sure did like that car. White Explorer. He whiffed badly. He wasn't able to hear what she said. And sometimes we do the same things as we get caught up in our world that sometimes we miss the power of God all around us. You see, these religious leaders who are putting Peter and John in prison, they had heard of the miracles that Jesus performed. They had seen Lazarus resurrect from the dead. They had talked to the guard who was guarding the tomb in which Jesus moved forth and resurrected from. They had seen the Holy Spirit come in power at Pentecost. And now they are able to see this man who is able to walk, who from birth has never been able to walk and he's standing next to Peter and John, praising and jumping up and down. They had seen him at the gate, and they completely miss Jesus. Completely missed the message that Jesus 
saves. He is the only way. Now, if you think that these people could miss that message after what they had seen and heard, do you think that we too could miss the message of Christ? We're not too much different than the religious leaders at the time of the early church, focused on our career, our power, our money, our authority, that oftentimes we miss the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at work all around us. Let's not miss Jesus this morning. Let us see the Spirit filling the church, the people of God, to be able to boldly proclaim Christ in a world that often does not want to hear This is spirit-filled boldness. Look at verse one with me in chapter four. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed. The number of men came about to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the, the high priest Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is our first point this morning coming from these verses. We summarize this to say spirit-filled believers face persecution. Peter and John are in the temple courts. They, They see this man who is broken, who is lame from birth. They say, we don't have silver or gold. We don't have that. But in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they reach out their hand and bring him up. This man proclaims the goodness of God. People are believing in Christ through the authentication, through this miracle. They're they're extolling God, and yet Peter and John are thrown in prison. Why? Well, all the players of the crucifixion of Christ are here. These people who falsely accuse Jesus, Caiaphas, Annas, these high priests, the elders, the scribes. Jesus was brought before them. Now Jesus' disciples are being brought before him. Why? Because as gospel proclaimers, which we'll see in a minute, we will face persecution. But these guys are here Look back at what happened when Jesus was in front of these men. Matthew 26, 65 says this. The high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard that his blasphemy, what is your judgment, they answered. He deserves death. And they spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him saying, prophesy to us. You Christ, who is it that struck you? 
So what do they do? They spit in his face. They falsely accuse him. And they put him on a cross to die. These leaders thought that this movement of God would end with the crucifixion of Christ, yet God's people filled with the Spirit are much bolder because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now instead of having 12 disciples and a few hundred people following Jesus, now there are thousands proclaiming the name of Christ. It says that some of the Sadducees were annoyed because they're teaching about the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees were annoyed at the teaching of Peter and John because they were proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and yet Jesus was proof that There is a resurrection that we will all one day be resurrected and live eternally with God. You see, the truth of the gospel of Jesus did not fit their narrative. The Sadducees did not believe in a literal resurrection. And because it did not fit their narrative of their authority or their power or their place of position, They rejected Christ and they rejected the gospel. You see, the gospel often does not fit the world's narrative. There is a creator God who we are accountable to does not fit the world's narrative. You're telling me I'm accountable to someone besides myself? The word of God calls God as the authority, the creator God. This God determines right and wrong, good and evil. That does not fit the world's narrative. One may ask the question, you mean I don't determine what is right and wrong myself? No, God determines that. He is the authority The Bible declares that everyone by their own nature is a sinner, and that does not fit the world's narrative. You mean that I'm not inherently good? The Bible calls us all falling short of the glory of God as sinners. The Bible says that there is only one way to salvation. We'll see Peter say that in a minute, which is in Christ, and that does not fit the world's narrative. You mean there is, isn't many paths to God? Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bowing one's knee to Jesus as Lord and placing one's faith upon him does not fit the world's narrative. Why? You're telling me I can do I can't do whatever I want. You see, the gospel is anti-world, and the world is anti-gospel. We must place the truth of the word of God on. 
the belt of truth must be fastened as the people of God or else we are just waving in the wind. I say all that to say that persecution of Christians is a natural occurrence. We in America have not faced this type of persecution, but when we declare Jesus as the only way in the world today, we will face persecution. As 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It does not say maybe or possibly, it says will be persecuted. Guess what, if you are proclaiming the gospel, you will offend people. Because the gospel itself in its nature is offensive. What are you saying in the proclamation of the gospel? You are calling people sinners and pointing them to their need for a savior. Anybody like being called out for doing something wrong? Anybody like someone to say, hey man, you really need help? Look at Peter when he proclaims the gospel in the first few chapters of Acts. Acts 2.36, this is what he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is what he says in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one, asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts 3.17, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Repent from what? Sometimes we, we, we miss that statement. Repent from what? Who are we? Why would we need Jesus? I had a conversation with somebody the other day about their church. I'm not gonna mention what church it was, but it wasn't our church, but another church. And they said, I really like my church We really don't talk about sin, the reality of hell. You see, the problem with that is we just made the gospel what we wanted to hear, which was we are all good and we just need a bit of encouragement. Our world will be a better place and we'll see you in heaven because we're really not that bad. We just diminished Christ's death on the cross. Did he really need to die if you weren't really that bad? No, in the gospel, Jesus' death on the cross was necessary for your salvation because we were sinners in need of a savior. You see, the grace of God becomes that much sweeter when we understand the weight of our sin, our need to say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And guess what? That is offensive. We've lost that in evangelism. 
And I'm afraid it may be due to the fact that we don't want to offend people. Look at the first four chapters. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone, referring to hell more than 20 times in the Gospels. Does this mean we should stand on the street corner holding up signs that say turn or burn? No, that's not the Gospel either. We need to understand our sin, but also the grace and love of Christ that frees us from our sin, declaring the way of salvation in Jesus. It's not helping anyone to just say you're a sinner and not tell them the way of salvation. You must do both. Peter does this, Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Acts 3.19, repent, therefore turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, they may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You know, this persecution often brings forth a harvest. Why? Because they are sharing that Jesus is the only way. The Spirit is convicting the hearts of mankind. And as a result, because of the Spirit's convicting of hearts of mankind, people are opposed. They reject Christ often in hostility. Jesus has been crucified. There's hostility already with the lit religious establishment and now the church is growing. It says in verse four, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. They're They're numbering the men. We don't know how much the church is at this point. It could be 10,000 if you just double that to include the women. But what about the children? 15,000 or 20,000. The range is innumerable. There are thousands of followers of Jesus at this time. What are the high priests supposed to do? This this movement is happening. (coughs) And they are rejecting it. Thus, the church will face persecution all the way through Acts. And yet, this is their response to the persecution. Verse 8, let's look at it together. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is point number two this morning. 
Spirit-filled believers proclaim Christ as the only way. Spirit-filled believers proclaim Christ as the only way. Notice the text at the beginning says that Peter is filled with the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is speaking through this man. We learn later he is a common man. He's a fisherman, actually. Spirit-filled proclamation is not forced. It is natural. The person is so in tune with the Lord and has communed with God in such a way that the words that come out are led and guided by the Spirit of the living God, not the man himself. Jesus told his disciples that this is what was going to happen. In Luke 12, 11, he says this. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Luke 21, 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus obviously doesn't think that gospel proclamation is going to be easy not even in your home, definitely not in your workplace. Peter then addresses here the reason they're being persecuted. This man who is able to walk, and he addresses why he is able to walk, verse 9, If we're being examined today concerning what a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You see, back in the day, builders who constructed a building would reject a stone if they regarded that stone as unsuitable for their purposes. It was cut improperly or did not fit the specific position on the wall in which they were building. They would throw the stone or cast the stone aside. This is what the religious leaders did with Jesus. They said, he does not fit our narrative. He does not fit our design. We must cast him aside. I I hope that that doesn't happen in our hearts and our minds because if we, whether we like it or not, Jesus is the very cornerstone 
or the foundational piece in which the building is built upon. Foundational piece of the kingdom of God. When we reject Christ, we reject God. And when we reject God, what do we have left? Jesus is the cornerstone, whether we place him in our life there or not. One of the most important verses of the whole Bible is verse number 12. If you haven't memorized it, you should. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, either we believe this or we don't. This is not a new controversy. The apostles are not in trouble because they privately believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but because they publicly proclaim the gospel and 8,000 people come to believe in Jesus and they disagree with everyone who does not accept Christ. Peter is talking to the very people in which crucified Christ, and he tells them there is no other name under heaven by which they must be saved. I don't don't know if we understand the weight of this encounter. Jesus has just been crucified by these people. Peter has just denied Christ three times. He is standing before the people proclaiming this Jesus whom they crucified. And he says, there is no other name by which men must be saved. You see, it wasn't a problem for being a Christian. It was a problem that they were saying there's only one way to salvation. You see, the world in which Christianity was birthed is a lot like the world in which we live. You Christians can do your own thing, believe in Christ, but when you start claiming Jesus is the only way, wait, we're gonna have a problem with that. When you start sharing the gospel and trying to convert people in your workplace, your school, uh, We're going to have a problem with that. That's the world in which we live. You say, isn't it a bit arrogant to pronounce Jesus as the only way? I mean, isn't Peter a bit arrogant here to look at the the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and say, Jesus is the only way? Look, Look what the commentator says about Peter and John in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Two things here. These disciples aren't trying to hide the fact that they're common men. These other men in the room had 
many more degrees than they do. We're probably even, even more learned about the Old Testament and the understanding of the Old Testament. They weren't trying to say, we're better, we have more knowledge than you. They're simply pointing out that they had been with Jesus and declaring what they had seen and heard. There's humility in proclamation of Christ as the only way when we testify to the glory of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. When we say, he's great, I'm not. Because when we start saying, I'm great because I know Jesus, that's a problem. You see, for many the exclusivity of the gospel is a problem. There's a rather famous parable that attempts to explain how people in our worldview, in our culture, in our, in our world, attempt to view religion in our world. The parable originated in India, which you would know as a pluralistic society. They put all the gods together and they worship different ones, just add another God to the pile. You wanna believe in Jesus, just add him in. The parable talks about three blind men who are just trying to describe this elephant. Three blind men in a room trying to describe an elephant. One feels the trunk and says it's like a snake. Another feels the body of the elephant and says it's like a wall. And another feels the tusk and says, oh, it's like a spear. He said, you see one person by themselves or one religion by itself cannot know God, cannot understand the way of God, cannot understand the way of salvation. And the parable is shared over and over, meant to kind of prove that you need all the religions of the world to see the actual God, the fullness of the picture. This is the world in which we live. And and at first glance, it, it seems like a cool thought process, but there are two problems with this parable. One is, how could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant. How could you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality you just claimed that none of the religions have? The narrator knows that none of the blind men can see the whole elephant. Do do you understand the hypocrisy in that? In in telling the parable itself, you are doing the very thing you don't want Christians to do. The very reason you say that our view of God is incomplete. Because you can see the complete picture. So the only difference between what you are saying or what you're doing and what we're doing is that you won't admit that there is a holy and righteous God. The other problem with this parable is what if the elephant speaks? What if the elephant tells 
the blind man about himself. Essentially, that's what we believe, that God spoke through Jesus and told us who he is, verified by prophecies, miracles, and most importantly, the resurrection. To believe that is not arrogance. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are only two roads. One is Jesus, believing who he says he is, or believing He's not, he's crazy. But when we look at the life of Christ, one cannot say he's just a good teacher who I respect. He's either crazy or what he says is true. He's either Lord or he's not. Peter has already told that it is not out of his own power or his own piety to make this man walk. Peter is embarrassed. He denied Christ three times. He's a fisherman. He's not better than anyone, but he's boldly proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ alone. You say, I I, I don't really, I'm gonna take some time on this because this is so important in our world today for you to understand as believers how to talk to somebody about this stuff. You say, well, I don't really like being exclusive. All of that points people to the outside. Some would call it narrow-minded or even hateful. You see, all religious claims are really, the problem with that is all that religious claims are really exclusive. People will still draw a line in the stand at some point. Even the statement, all good people of every religion will go to heaven. Guess what? That is exclusive. Who are you excluding? Bad people? Throw some murderers, racists, rapists, child molesters. You still have a list, and some people are on it. It is exclusive. But who are we to make a list of good versus bad? Again, we cannot make that list. You might say, well, I'm just not religious at all. I just don't like excluding anyone for any reason. You might talk to someone that says that, but even open accepting people have a line of what they determine as good and bad. Try driving in San Francisco with an SUV with an NRA sticker on the back and telling people that global warming is a hoax and that you refuse to recycle and see what they think about that. Are you good or are you bad? Even open people have a line. All religious and moral viewpoints end up being exclusive. Everyone has a line for who's in and who's out. But the gospel of Jesus is different. It's a different kind of exclusivity because the gospel teaches that our acceptance with God is not based upon anything about us, not our moral record, not our education, not our race, not our political viewpoint. God gives salvation as a gift to all who will repent and receive it in Christ Jesus. You see, the the picture of the lame man is really a picture of us. Did you know that lame 
people, people who could not walk, could not enter into the temple. Leviticus 16, 21, the blind and the lame, those with physical deformities were actually forbidden from entering the temple. Entering into the presence of God, entering into the place where God dwells, they could not enter in. We all are like that. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners. We stand under God's judgment and wrath. And yet Jesus comes, he dies on a cross in our place and says, rise, get up and walk, not based upon your goodness, not because you are good, but because I am good. Any person can believe. Any person. Tim Keller writes this, all religions are exclusive, but Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive there is. Why? Because Christ died for the sinner. Christ died for the murderer. Christ died for the rapist. He died for the racist. He died for all that they may come to faith in God and be transformed, that they may repent and believe upon Christ for salvation There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So don't don't believe the lie that Christianity or the gospel is so exclusive. It's irrelevant in today's world because it is relevant in today's world. And we can understand that we stand upon Christ and the gospel of truth and nothing else. Verse 13 They saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, charged them not to speak, to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen or heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people We're praising God for what had happened for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is our last point. I'm wrapping up. Spirit-filled believers boldly proclaim the truth. The religious authorities, the authorities, the governing authorities of the day told them, do not proclaim Jesus. We have countries all over the world that do this. Jesus sat in this place a few months earlier only to be pronounced dead. Peter had denied Christ. He was scared. He was fearful for his life. He denied him three times to a slave girl. 
And now he stands in front of the chief rulers of the day proclaiming the truth. We cannot stop. The boldness comes through the spirit of the living God inside of his people. We were talking about Mission OKC this week in a meeting. We stopped the meeting. We're talking about coronavirus. We're talking about safety. We're talking about all these things that we have to deal with today. Just stopped and we prayed. I think after the meeting, somebody said, what if, what if all 420 of our people actually shared Christ as the only way to salvation there in Mission OKC? How many people would truly repent and be saved? I'm sure that there will be some backlash, maybe even some people being angry. But would there be new believers? I believe so. I believe it is time to share an unhindered gospel. Not trying to offend people just because you are offensive, but letting the word of God speak, the truth about Christ speak. Being more concerned about their internal destination than losing their friendship. My friends, sharing the truth in love is one of the greatest things that we can do. Spirit-filled believers boldly proclaim the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Because he is the only way. We're about to spend some time in prayer this morning. A time of response to the message that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. I, you know, I thought about this a lot. The term salvation or saved, is there a better term? There is not. Because truly what we are saying is when we believe upon Jesus, we are saved. That salvation is found in no other name. That is a free gift. That when we call out to God Almighty, we say, I, I need salvation. And I believe, I trust that it is in the name of Jesus. Will God not answer your prayer? Would you stand with me? As we pray, 
the Lord may be speaking to some of you this morning. He may be saying, I want to believe. I hear the message that Peter and John proclaimed 2,000 years ago. And I want to believe and place my faith in Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're, we're just gonna call people to faith in Christ right now. What does that mean? It could be a little bit scared. That means that you just call out to the Lord God Almighty and say, I need you to save me. Put my place in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to believe. To repent from your way of thinking to place your faith upon Christ. I'm gonna pray and some of you may join me in prayer. You can pray with me. You can repeat after me. Believe upon Jesus this morning. The Holy Spirit speaks to those he wants to save. Father, I thank you that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. Therefore, I trust in Jesus. I trust in him to wash away my sin, not because I am deserving, because of your love and grace. Continue to keep your head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand? If you're online, would you text us at Northwest 81010? Share that you prayed a prayer to believe upon Christ this morning. Would you be bold enough to say, I believe? Thank you for worshiping with us. The call goes out. Jesus is the only way. We proclaim that. We're proclaiming that this morning through the word of God. Would you